Robert's residence. Welcome home, Sydney. Here's Johnny. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Get away from her, you bitch! Let's face it, baby, these days, you gotta have a secret. You fly back to school now, little starling. Hello and welcome to another episode of Once Upon a Nightmare. I am your host Lorraine Purden and I am here to discuss the fictional horrors of the world, but as you know with me, sometimes they might be real. I am back to horror after an amazing month of violent movies for the month of August. I very much love these types of films. If you listen to the episodes, some are like more than others. And while they're not horror, let's face it, they can be pretty scary. I find them quite scary because some of them can be quite real to life. So, but for this episode, I've done the first one, I've done the second one, I've done the third one, so I thought I'd go for the fourth one. And I'm taking it back to 2011 for Scream 4. Robert's residence. Welcome home, Sydney. You're a survivor, aren't you, Sydney? What good's it to be a survivor if everyone close to you is dead? You can't save them. All you can do is watch. <laughs> audiences have become savvy to the rules of the originals. I mean, there are still rules, but the rules have changed. And the kill has got to be, like, way more extreme. The unexpected is the new cliche. And virgins can die now. To be the new version, you know, 2.0, the killer should be filming the murders. That's yeah, a natural next step in psycho slasher innovation. Go ahead if you have the guts. Well, it's time for someone new to die. These aren't just random killings. There's something really scary about a guy with a knife who just... snaps. I hear you like horror movies. It's for you. Scream 4 was directed by the great Wes Craven, and this was Craven's last film to direct, as unfortunately he did pass away in 2015. It was written by Kevin Williamson, and there was quite a big jump between this and the last film, uh, 11 years to be exact. We have since had Scream 5 this year, 2022, and Scream 6 is apparently going to hit our screens in 2023, and some old faces will make an appearance in Scream 6, but I'm not going to say who they are, just in case you haven't seen the fifth one yet. I don't want to spoil it. I know everything's out there, but if anyone's going to spoil it, I don't want it to be me. This one, on the other hand, does have spoilers, so keep that in mind if you haven't seen it. We do get the usual faces back in this one with Sydney, played by Neve Campbell, Gail Weathers, played by Courtney Cox, David Arquette as Deputy Dewey, and we also have some fresh new faces to kill. We have Hayden Pantier as Kirby Reed, Emma Roberts as Jill, and we are back in Woodsboro with more murders and no idea who the killer or killers are. Has Sydney, Dewey or Gail finally lost the plot? Is it one of them? <laughs> I have seen this film quite a few times, I'll be honest with you, but for some reason I've just put it on to watch it and I can't remember, I think I know who they uh, killer killers are is <laughs> but I can't fully remember but I'm sure as it goes along it will come back to me but I do think I know who one of them is and not the other but I'm sure there's two I don't think there's just one but we shall see 
Now, I know this film does tend to get a bit of stick when it comes to the Scream films. You get these horror movies and they start off with one. Let's face it, Scream, the first Scream is amazing. And then as they go on, they tend to get, you know, worse as they go on. So I've been recently doing a big three episode with my friend Stuart over at British Murders, where we're talking about some massive slasher films. So you've got Friday the 13th, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, and Halloween franchise. And as they go on, especially with Friday the 13th, not feeling it. But with the Scream films, I, I like them all. I do. I'm obviously the first one is my favorite, which is probably the case for most people. But there's something about all of them I do actually like. So with Scream 1, we get that whole chat about slasher movies, describing them, their flaws, what you should and shouldn't do, making fun of them, mocking them, if you will. Scream 2 kind of gives us that thing where they de deconstruct horror films, especially sequels. Three, I feel, gives us that life in Hollywood, the kind of behind the scenes of what goes on when you make horror films. But with four, it gives us that idea of the remake or the reboot. And the beginning of Scream 4 basically rips apart horror with the many, many opening sequences. You kind of watch a few of them and you don't know which one is the real one until the real opening of the actual film comes along and we're not just watching various stab films. So from this, I get that there is, what's there, seven, eight stab films. And it starts off with this girl, which it's kind of, I seen this TikTok video the other day of this thing where this Jen, is it Z? I don't know. The latest Jen, yeah, well, it would be, duh, um, is being kidnapped and she's all a lot about, um, did you do it because I'm cute and all this kind of stuff. And this girl is talking about her stalker and she is basically saying, oh my God, he's like so hot, but which is ridiculous because if someone's stalking you, who cares what they look like? And it turns out it's a picture apparently of Channing Tatum's abs. That actually happened to a friend of mine, not stalking, but she was being chatted up online and she was going on about how hot he was. And I said, show me a picture of him. And she did. And it was Matthew McConaughey. She didn't want to believe it, but you know, who doesn't love a bit of the old McConaughey? So pretty much at the start of this one, it's like a lot of technology, a lot of this online relationships that start to blossom, <laughs> if that's what you want to call a stalker. And a lot of it happens not just on the landline, because when we have screen one, there's a lot of the landline stuff. But obviously, technology has moved on quite a lot since, God, 1996. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, my God, was it that long ago? Um, and so, obviously, they can play around with a lot more things when it comes to technology, which is what they actually do with this film. And then as we get into it, we realize that we are watching the Stab films, that these intros are the Stab films. The first one is Stab 6. And it kind of goes a little bit against what we they talk about, what they mock, because we see one of the girls gets killed and the other one does try to run out of the house instead of up the stairs. But unfortunately, there's two of them. So the one outside gets her. But she does try. Secondly, we have Anna Paquin and Kirsten Bell, and they are in Stab 7. Now, they are slagging off horror. It's talking about horror within a horror film. It's talking about how it's so predictable, horror films nowadays. But then Kirsten Bell turns around and stabs her friend. And, you know, we weren't expecting that, and Anna Paquin's character wasn't, and that goes against everything she was saying. Now, the real film begins when we have Marnie and her friend and they are 
usual, being called and all this kind of stuff. And there is a lot, a lot of film puns in this beginning. I do appreciate a good pun. And they are the two that are killed at the beginning, which is basically keeping with a lot of the whole screen formula where someone dies at the beginning and then everyone's like, oh no, they're back. And then, of course, it goes into the whole, he's going to start calling people. What is your favorite scary movie? And this is when we get to see Jill and Olivia and Kirby. And it's kind of hard to take seriously at this stage about the whole watch your favorite scary movie thing because it's been done to death with these films. And within these films, you get a lot of people messing about doing it. And then obviously you get the person that's actually doing it. And because they sound exactly the same and you don't always see the person that's doing it, you don't know if it's real or not. But you're kind of so used to it now that you don't really take much notice. And I find myself going, oh, is this real? Who, who cares at this stage, to be honest with you? Now, when they call like Sydney or someone, you kind of accept it to be more real. I know in two, she had that guy called Corey that did it, which was a joke, but I kind of feel in this one, it's not going to be with her. But yeah, there is a lot of that going on. So we just never know, is it real or is it not? We see that Gail and Dewey are living together. And this is kind of the life that Dewey wanted. He's very much in love with Gail. He's the sheriff of Woodsboro now. He's living in the place he wants to be. He has the woman of his dreams. He's got a lovely home. But you can tell for Gail that this isn't really for her. She's sacrificed, for use of a better term, I think, her life for him. And you can see that she's just itching to get back into what she used to do and what she used to be, as in mainly detective, like figure out who this new killer is. Now, Dewey has a deputy, Deputy Judy, and she is played by Marley Shelton, and she works with him very close by. She's crushing on him real hard, and she doesn't try and hide it. She knows that she's married, that he's married, so you really shouldn't be doing this. And Gail isn't happy about it. And we see a lot of this thing with Judy, where she tries and uses her position as a way to keep Gail out of the way. But in true form with Gail, she just shoots her down and doesn't take it. As mentioned, technology big thing. So they're in a classroom. You've got all these phones going off. It must be really annoying for teachers these days with technology. And there's also this guy in there who is got this thing attached to his head and he's literally filming everything. So he's part of a film club. He knows a lot of stuff about horror films, which I'll get into in a bit. But a lot of this is being filmed within the film. So, and we see a lot of this going on with phones because stuff is being recorded and stuff like that. So there's a lot more places to see what is actually going on. And also I think some of the deaths in these are like way overboard, way over the top. And the way they sometimes happen is when moments of that kind of like, okay, this is a bit silly, like kind of stupid horror type thing, but also really gives you a real punch. Like, so there's this whole scene with Olivia now, Olivia is friends with Kirby and Jill, and she's at home, and they live literally next door, and the phone rings, and again, we get that whole, you know, ghost faced on the phone, and it comes up on Trevor's phone, which is Jill's boyfriend, so obviously they think that he's just taken the piss because they don't really think it's him, but this whole scenario plays out where it looks like Ghostface is actually in um, with Jill and Kirby, 
but it turns out that he is actually in with Olivia because they're like open the closet and he's like, I didn't say this one, I'm in the other one. And Olivia's death, I must admit, was pretty bloody good, but my God, it was brutal. The amount of blood splatter everywhere. It was so overboard and it kind of reminded me a little bit of when you see all the blood in, um, what do you call it, Nightmare on Elm Street, the first one, when Tina is murdered. And I suppose as well when uh, uh, Glenn is killed as well. There's a lot of blood in Nightmare on Elm Street. And that, that scene kind of really brings me back to that. And it's also when we really get to appreciate Sydney. So Sydney's come back. She's written this book. She's decided to tell her story because she was always kind of against that, wasn't she? And she's decided to tell it. And she's come back. And it's one of those reasons in this particular scene where we think that Sydney is one of the most amazing final girls ever because the two girls have had this conversation that they're seeing that, you know, Ghostface is toying with them. They're then seeing that her friend is being brutally murdered as they kind of just watch through the window, whereas you think, I know we're not in that situation, but you think instinct would be to run over to try and help your friend, but then you worry you might get killed yourself. But Sydney, she spots it and she goes. And, you know, she survived this before. So it's kind of one of those things where you think, well, many times before, it's one of those things where you think to yourself, you know, it would be, will she run away from it because she's so terrified because she knows what he's capable of or will she run to it? And I think that's the thing, depending on the person they could go either way, but Sydney is very much run to it. She wants to protect these people. And the phone rings. And I like that this conversation between them goes on. He talks about how he wants her to suffer and stuff like that. Because you think, you always think he's out to get Sydney. And obviously he is, but he's really toying with her in this one. And also sounds like he really resents her because he's talking about. I know I'm saying he all the time, but the ghost face voice sounds like a bloke. So that's why I'm saying he. But he sounds like he really resents her because he's like, you left here and you left Woodsboro and then you made money from this. And it sounds like they're really against this, which actually does make sense later on as to why this is being said. And when Sydney kind of says, why don't you just come and get me type thing? They make that point of saying, oh, God, it's not always about you. But yes, it is about you. It is about Sydney. Because if it wasn't about Sydney, you wouldn't make such a big deal of making her wait to be killed. You you die when I say you die, basically. And it's just, it's just basically one of these situations, which we see in Scream 3, when we see Roman bitching and moaning about how, oh, you had everything and all this kind of stuff. And... You know, it it's a film that really hones in on accountability and the fact that people always have to blame somebody else for their own actions. They can never be accountable. Like, Sydney's a survivor, and she's basically making the best out of her life. It happened to her because it happened to her. She didn't do this to her, herself. And she's an example of, you know, how people should act. She doesn't moan. She doesn't complain. She's not, oh, woe is me. It's like shit happens. And let's face it, some serious shit happened to her. And you'd almost forgive her for kind of moaning and whinging about it a bit, but she doesn't. And that is what, you know, makes her great. And I think that's kind of one of the things when you see a lot of these uh, final girls like Sydney, Laurie Strode, Ripley, Sarah Connor, Erin uh, Harson. And I know she's not really thought of a 
um, as a final girl. But Gail Weathers, you know, these women get shit done, you know, and also we have the bluntness of Gail, which I do like. And the bluntness of all these women, they kind of just say what's in their mind, get on with it. But that's why I really like Sydney in this. And as she said to Roman in the third one, you know, you do these things because you choose to. And that is the case with anything in any movies or any actions. Most people do stuff because they choose to, but they need someone to blame, which as mentioned, I will go into in the end. But Ghostface can't wait because he does try and attack her. And instead, Jill gets attacked and of course blames Sydney. And I go suppose in her defense, Sydney's come back. And obviously when Sydney comes back, it does tend to bring Ghostface out of the woodwork. And, but she does apologize. She does apologize because this isn't Sydney's fault. Now, Jill is getting herself all patched up. Sydney's been banged around a bit. And, you know, we have met this woman in here, and this is Rebecca. She is Sydney's publicist. She's played by Alison Bray. And she takes every bad opportunity as an opportunity, every bad situation as an opportunity to um, make money. She is your typical blood-sucking, money-grabbing vampire. We don't like her. We don't care what happens to her. But she does kind of meet her maker. But this one's kind of really drawn out with how he is taunting her. And of course, getting her is a way to get Sydney's attention because she works for Sydney. And he wants to make a massive impact with this one because when he kills her, he doesn't kill her and just run away. He throws her over a building while the police are given a press conference while there's media there. She lands on a media van. And this really shows how Ghostface is in seri- is, is in control. He, I mean, he always is in control to an extent, I mean. but And he's just said to the world, I'm back and what have you done about it? Nothing. And also this gives Gail, I suppose, a reason to kind of step up and say, look, I can help you with this. She wanted to help with this. She's solved three of these things before, but he's the sheriff now. So he's like, nah, you can't get involved. But this kind of gives her a reason to say, look, you are not handling this. You are not dealing with this. And it gets her kind of in there again. This screen though is very screen one. As I said, it talks about like, it's very remake, rebooty. We have the boyfriend, Trevor, with Jill and how he keeps showing up when, oh my God, where did you come out? Oh, very Billy Loomis. And he's a bit of a dick. I like Billy Loomis, but I do love Billy Loomis. And we've got Gail trying to get in on the whole thing. There's this film club, which basically these two characters are Randy as they give out information of what horror films are, the formulas and all that kind of stuff. And this film club is run by Robbie, played by Eric Knudsen, and Charlie, played by Rory Culkin. And Robbie is the person who I mentioned in the class, and he is constantly recording what goes on. He's got this stuck to his head, and everything goes online, which I suppose, when you think about it, it is a little bit ahead of its time with regards to that. Now, I know YouTube's been around for quite a while. I'm not sure what time, uh, when YouTube started, but I know it's been around longer than um, Instagram, like stories and stuff, and TikTok. And that's basically what people do nowadays, don't they? I think if, you know, I I, I don't remember, I watched Screen 5, but I can't really remember it. But I'm sure, you know, it's it's very much now we got to put everything online, everyone has to see everything. That's what we do. And I suppose then in the sense, this one, they did it before everybody else. So they came up with this, you know, these these guys are coming up with this formula of the killer and they're basically describing the screen films before and this one is of course following that first screen film so 
when it comes to Scream, what do we need? We need a party. And they have this film party and Gail puts cameras up because she wants to see what's going on. But this kind of, I feel like the party is kind of just a little, little step to the main scene because not really much goes on here. I mean, Gail does get attacked, which is big, uh, but, you know, she's okay. But it takes us to the house setting and this is Kirby's house. I like Kirby. She's an interesting character. You don't know what part she's playing the whole time. You kind of feel she might be the killer or one of the killers or is she not? Or is she just like, you know, this trusty sidekick to best friend Jill? She's very ballsy. And while she has the blonde hair, she's not the usual blonde we see in movies. Now, I'm not a fan of the whole dumb blonde thing. I know, you know, many are blonde and they ain't dumb. But for the purpose of horror, they they seem to put in this kind of... Um, thing where, you know, if you're blonde and also Kirby has short hair, which I know, you know, who cares, but that seems to be a big thing with film and television. People seem to make a big deal out of the fact that someone who had long hair cut it short. Like you remember Big Bang Theory, Kaylee Coco, Cuoco, um, she did it and it was really talked about and they feel like it's going to, you know, hinder their career or something. And I know Hayden Pantier had very long hair and it was very short for this, but she is a very important character, I think, for this. She isn't hysterical. She keeps it together. She's able to answer questions under pressure. She's a complete horror geek. And although, you know, she, you know, we soon find out that she's not one of the killers and she does completely misread the situation with Charlie, who she has a kiss with. He is one of the killers. And we find this out when she has to answer all these questions about horror and she sees him outside strapped to a chair like that of Casey Becker's boyfriend at the beginning. He's big and he plays football and he'll kick the shit out of you. But she goes to rescue him and it turns out that he has a big ass knife, but he does that thing. Oh my God, four years I've liked you and now you notice me? It's like, oh, get over yourself. Like, can you imagine killing someone and being like, you know, this is the reason. We also have Robbie, who is one of the film geeks with Charlie that you think, oh God, okay, so is it going to be the two of them? But no. And I like Charlie. I liked Robbie. Sorry. I don't, you know, he gets killed and I, I wish he didn't, you know, he's a big nerd, but I like him. So who is the other killer? We know there's two. It's Jill. Now I'll be honest with you. I really did not think it was going to be Jill. I didn't because, you know, that's me just misreading her completely, basically, but it makes sense. So they start off, obviously, you know, it's very much aware now that it's Jill and Charlie and they do the whole thing from the first one, but the person they pull out of the closet is not Sydney's dad. It is Trevor, the boyfriend. So they're going to try and pin it on him. And he cheated on Jill. So the first place she goes for is when she shoots him because she gets a gun is, uh, his middle area, which I can imagine is very painful. Now, you shouldn't cheat on people, but let's face it, you shouldn't shoot them between the legs either. And you shouldn't shoot them in the forehead. I'd, I'd go with both of those. Um, but she did. And now it just gets so bloody ridiculous with why these two are doing it. And it comes back to accountability. Now, Charlie, you can just tell that he has been sucked in and he has Jill's little pawn as she needed someone to help her do this because they start to do this whole, you stab me, I'll stab you, like Stu and Billy did. But she 
instead of stabbing him in the shoulder, she goes to the heart and she basically kills him and she's going to make it look like Trevor and him were both involved with this. But then she starts whining about Sydney and she's jealous. And do you know what it's like growing up with, you know, you as a as an aunt? And it see, no accountability. She's blaming everyone else. She doesn't want to work. She doesn't want to go to college. She just wants to be famous. But the thing is, Sydney never wanted to be famous. Sydney was made famous because she survived, because someone attacked her. It wasn't what she wanted. And when she finally wrote that book, I feel like it was more of a, I need to get this out of my system. And it's more of a, I don't have a fucking choice. Like, do you know what I mean? People just won't leave this alone and killers keep coming back. So like Sydney was put into this life. She chose to go down this route and she just wants fame. She wants, as she says, she goes, you know, you don't have to achieve anything to become famous. You just need to have fucked up shit happen to you. And let's be honest, it's true. You see all these people out there nowadays that are famous and what, some of them get famous because they put out what, sex tape? Everyone has sex. Like, do you know what I mean? Well, not everyone, but you know what I mean. But she wants that. She wants a little bit of, you know, you see all these people from, you know, the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s who went out there and, you know, made a life for themselves in the industry where they became famous. They didn't just put out some bloody TikTok video or go on a reality show and all of a sudden, you know, they're famous. Like I sometimes see follows on Instagram with, and I know it shouldn't matter about followers, but, you know, with a reality star and they've got like five, six million followers. And then you see some classic, amazing actress and she's got like 50,000 and you're just like, it's, it's all skewed. You know, like when, when did that happen? Was it Big Brother? I can't, I can't remember when that all happened. But now people would know more about the Kardashians. I've never seen it. Actually, no, I seen one episode, I think once someone was playing in their house, then they would know about Robert De Niro. Like, do you know what I mean? It makes, it makes no sense to me. And, but this is what this girl is. She is that person. And she needs to kill Sydney to become Sydney because that's what she wants. She wants to be Sydney. So she does kill Sydney, or does she? And I swear to God, this end scene, I wish someone had been watching this or they've got it on camera like to, to show people how she tries to, herself to make it look like she's been attacked. And the way she beats herself up is brilliant because there's one scene where she's kind of, she gets the claws of Trevor and she scratches her face and pulls out her hair. But she almost acts like it's happening happening to her that Trevor's doing this and not her. It's really bizarre because she says before that how she had told so many lies and she goes, and I was starting to believe it. And I think this is the thing. She's told so many lies about who she is and about what's going on that she, when, when she's scratching her face and pulling out her hair and stabbing herself in the shoulder and jumping into the table backwards, it's like it's like someone's doing that to her and not her because she's so far gone. And I just thought that was brilliant the way that it was. It was so funny. It was so funny. And then she gets her moment, doesn't she? She gets her moment because the press are like, I mean, there's so many cameras in her face and you can see her. She's absolutely loving this. She is the new Sydney Prescott. She is going to get all this. She even when she like beats herself up, she lies next to Sydney and she mirrors Sydney's position next to her to make it look like she is Sydney, but there's only one Sydney. And she's getting her 15 minutes of fame. 
So she's, you know, she's, but she's in the hospital and she's being all like, oh my God. And, you know, me and, me and uh, Gail have war wounds in our shoulders and, you know, being so like, you know, and I get, I kind of, I didn't know, but I kind of had a feeling that when she was talking that um, Dewey, because she was talking to Dewey, that he was a little bit like, something's not right, but he can quite put his finger on it. You know, I don't know. There was just a little bit of that. And then he, of course, lets her know, you know, don't worry, Sydney's not dead you know she she's she's in getting uh surgery so that was fun when she finds out and then she she goes into sydney and when she turns around to her and she just goes um you know you just won't die will you who are you michael fucking myers and i was just like it's true because he just keeps bouncing back but you know she's messing with the wrong person you know she's taken on sydney fucking prescott like you know and it's not easy to take her out now i'll give her her dues i will give jill her dues she does go for it and she does put on a pretty good freaking fight and she takes down Dewey. She takes down Deputy Judy and uh, Gail's hiding. So, you know, she's she's doing pretty well. Like she she would have been a strong contender if she had been a final girl, but because she was so fucked up, it would be interesting to see a story to make about someone like that and to see how they actually deal with it because Sydney has grace, you know, whereas... Like I said, Sydney doesn't want to be famous, especially not for this reason, whereas that's all Jill wants. And once you go in with that mindset, you're kind of screwed from day one, aren't you? But, you know, Sydney saves the day. And I do like that, the way she, Jill makes the mistake of not paying attention. She thinks Sydney's down. And that's, I suppose, one of the rules. And, you know, pay attention. And she gets electrocuted, you know, with the, you know, clear thing. And of course, Sydney, great line. First rule of remakes, don't fuck with the original. And to an extent, that's true. And Jill got cocky. But, you know, typical Jill won't die, but then she does. So I think overall for me, this, this is a good film. And I know it gets, gets some grief because, as I said, as films go on, we tend to... We, we, we tend to slate later ones. I mean, I know you have some in your sequels, like everyone goes on about Godfather 2, Aliens, classic film. Scream 2 is a good film. Um, but, you know, as they go up, like I said, people, not as many people get involved and people criticize them a lot more. But I do, re I did like this film. I thought it was a good one. And I'm going to rewatch Scream 5 because, like I said, I don't remember a lot of it. I remember some of it though. And I will watch Scream 6. But yeah, overall, I would definitely give this one a go. It's quite fast paced. It does keep going and it gives you a lot to watch. We're not kind of waiting around. And yeah, that is my little take on screen four. But before I go, I am going to play a trailer from, I want to do some more promos for other podcasters. Um, but this one is a great one and I know she's doing really well. And it's one of the first true crime podcasts I actually got into along with last podcast on the left. And that is from a girl in America, from Mississippi. She has the most amazing accent. And her name is Paige. And she is from a podcast called Reverie True Crime. So have a listen to this and then go and listen to her episodes. And don't forget to rate and review her on Apple and Podchaser. Reverie, the state of being pleasantly lost in one's thoughts. A daydream. But what if those daydreams turn to nightmares? Reverie True Crime shines a light on the dark tragedies that have happened and are continuing to happen all throughout the world. 
We interview and work with families to bring awareness to forms of injustice. We explore the depths of cases from around the world to include missing persons, mysteries, and more. Reverie True Crime is found wherever you're listening to this podcast. Remember, you don't have to live in fear, but stay aware of your surroundings. Stay safe and take care. And also thanks for listening to me. And don't forget to rate and review me on Apple and Podchaser. And if you've got any film suggestions, let me know. I'm kind of finding it hard to pick films lately because I've done a lot of the ones I really liked. And you know the way when you go to watch a film, you spend nearly two hours trying to pick one out. So if you've got any suggestions, I would really be up for it. But if you want anything that's updates and behind the scenes, you can always follow me on Instagram as Once Upon a Nightmare Podcast. That's the same on Facebook. I'm on Twitter as a Nightmare Pod. Or you can email Once Upon a Nightmare at Gmail. Once Upon a Nightmare Pod at gmail.com. I'm also on Buy Me a Coffee as a Nightmare Pod. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. And I will be in touch very soon. <laughs>